Welcome to Strange Bedfellows Podcast, where no question is too dark, no topic too taboo. Join us to explore sexuality, self-help, and politics with our expert guests and friends. We believe that sexual rights are human rights and that we can all create a brighter world through education and conversation. I am a parent, I am a certified holistic sex educator, I am a longtime sex worker and adult industry entertainer. My name is Elle Stanger and I'm a host of Strange Bedfellows Podcast. My name's John. You might know me as the audio engineer and editor of last season's podcast. I'm now returning as a co-host for season two. I'm a 22-year-old gay man who will share my perspective in the coming season. Join us while we explore and uncover the things that make us squirm, make us shiver, make us tingle in delight. Because sex and politics can make for some very strange bedfellows. Welcome back to our very last ever Strange Bedfellows. Uh, Hi, Jen. Hi. Hi, John. Hey. That's right. We have Jen is back for this next hour and then our after show on Patreon. Yay. Sorry. Hmm? <laughs> what do you mean, I sorry? Know. Oh. <laughs> hey, it wouldn't be me if I wasn't self deprecating. So. I know. Okay. Oh, that's sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, sorry. So, what have you been up to? I definitely want to talk about your boobs in a minute, uh, or we could talk about it right now. What have you been up to since last season? I'm just transitioning into life as a full-time investigator. I have like four murders. <laughs> so many murders. That's a lots lot. Lots of murders. Uh, federal work. Um, it's weird to have, I don't know, been a poor and lower middle class person and to kind of transition into what I think might be the kind of solid Middle class feels weird. I definitely struggle with like imposter syndrome. syndrome as far as that goes. That like, oh God, everyone's gonna figure out that <laughs> that I, I worked in the here. adult entertainment industry for twenty years and <laughs> I was a poor kid from Georgia. But yeah, I was kind of hanging on there for a minute. Like I was up until April of last year, I was doing about one to two just open shifts a month mm-hmm. at the club that had been my home and last April I just decided that it was time you know that it was uh time to move on and just time Mm -hmm. to to stop Mm -hmm. because I still felt like I had a foot in both worlds and that wasn't really working for me so I guess uh, yeah in April it'll mark exactly a year since I've transitioned out of the industry um Mm -hmm. it's been a little difficult I'm kind of in therapy not because I was traumatized so badly by the sex industry but because when you spend like 20 something years of your life doing one thing and then kind of and then completely stop doing it it's really hard to wrap your head around and like make sense of how you fit into this new life especially when I'm meeting lots of people who have never known that I was a dancer and don't Mm. need to know that I was a dancer unless I choose to tell them because it's Mm -hmm. not I used to be really pretty up front about it because you know it's a small city people run into you in the club it's Mm -hmm. it's hard to hide what 
if you still do that. But now I, I it's weird. It's like it, it, it's been a bit of a head fuck. <laughs> yeah, I believe you thinking about um, if I think about quitting like, oh, when will I be done? You know, um, like I counted my savings the other day and I was like, maybe when I get to X amount, I'll be done. And then I started having anxiety because I was like, I don't want to be done. You know, maybe at that point I, I, I mean, will you'll be. be done when you're you're done. Exactly. Sometimes. Yeah, I, I was really you know, I was really, really lucky. I, I was thinking about this like, you know, over the weekend on how I can talk about this without being condescending or patronizing. I mean, I know that I'm in a really pretty privileged position that I've, you know, have a college education and I lucked really kind of lucked out into a career which pays me a somewhat living wage, even though I work 80 hour weeks and my hair is falling out, and, mm, uh, you know, um, so I'm really lucky. And I realized that a lot of people don't choose to dance as their first choice, right? Like a lot of people, it's like economic necessity is why you get into it. And a lot of people also won't have a lot of choice about how they exit the industry. The money dries up, you get old, you gain you get weight. fired. Yeah, you get fired, like else to go. all kinds of things can happen to you. So I was very lucky and having some control over and, and you know, and being mm -hmm. able to catch myself. Um, and I really hope that for everybody else, like that when you're ready, you have enough time to make a game plan. But, you know, I mean, in a weird way, too, it's like that last couple of years, like the industry was letting me know that my services were <laughs> really no longer needed. You know, you were and, feeling it. Yeah. So you were feeling it. And you were an express. You were expressing it. Well, that's really um, a great way to sum up. I think a lot of things that I've been experiencing from dancers from all levels of privilege um, where they they do remind me like and I know I same thing like I have it good. Like I'm in a city with a lot of strip clubs. So if I get fired from one, I have options. You know, I'm, I'm hireable. I have big fake boobs, which is still kind of a trend but we can talk about that in a minute you're, you're also getting your boobs out um yeah but I really I I like hearing all that from you um it sounds like you're pretty grounded these days and I imagine it would be a really weird transition because something was such a huge part of your identity I mean in this culture it's sometimes literally depending where you live it's the first thing people ask what do you do before they even ask your name right so um well, yeah. that's part of the reason. So I guess I will tell you guys that I'm getting my implants removed in May. And one of the many reasons, I mean, there are so many reasons to do it, like my health, like I think I'm having the breast implant illness thing. And Hashtag they B hurt I my I back. I they're too big for my body. They're they're a bit dated. You know, like I got them in the like late 90s, early 2000s when big giant fake boobs were in. And that's just not where I am. But part of it, it's just like now I don't dance anymore. And I want it, I feel like these, it's my choice when I tell people about my past, when I choose to tell people about what I used to do. And I sometimes feel like these big fake boobs do the telling for me. They out you. Yeah, that they out me. And kind of another reason too, I was thinking about it. I, I kind of was, you know, when I guess when you grow up poor or you, and you work in a marginalized, in, in an industry where you never know what your income is always going to be, there's a lot of fear. And it's really hard to let go of that fear and to realize that like, I mean, Graham, I mean, can anyone ever really be secure in this country? But I'm pretty sure that I, I can survive now. Mm. And so I, I've had a lot of fear around getting rid of these implants because I thought, well, what if something happens and I, I have to go back like mm -hmm. something could happen. I got to go back. I'll need them. And I had really had to make this choice that I'm like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going. I'm 42 years old. I have a job. I 
I don't have, I don't have, I'm not going to have to go back. It's not realistic for me to go back at, at this age. And, and I, even, I think even by holding on to that idea, they're like, oh God, you know, what if I need, what if I need to make a quick couple hundred bucks or something happens that even by like holding on to that, I'm almost manifesting the possibility that that might happen. Mm-hmm. So and you could do great. We have to mention you could do great. That's the other thing. You still have it in your head, maybe that you would need boobs to be great. You don't. At, you don't. There's people that are entirely as flat as I was before I had them, and I'm gonna take them out someday, and I'll be flat again. Like, and they do great, and they do better than me. And it, yeah. Well, we kind of chatted about this a, a little bit before the show, but like, I guess how offensive now that I find it that body parts come in mm-hmm. and out of style, and really how unacceptable it is. To me, you you do fine with them. You do fine without them. You, you really do fine with with you, mm-hmm. John. Um, have you or Jen ever read any history or like analysis of body types in women? Not so much men, but women going through fashion even in the last decade. So is the waifish, very thin, anorexic looking in the twenties and thirties flapper girl, right. and then you got the full figured. 40s and 50s, 50s buxom wartime. And then the 60s when like Twiggy Twiggy came, came back. In. And then 70s and every 80s, everything was more bodacious. There's still a lot of like fitness and anorexia trends. But then now we're seeing like in the 90s, big butts. Big butts were, you know, I like big butts and I cannot lie. That was a thing. Um, it, And butts have definitely made... A, right, a huge comeback, as mm-hmm. everybody knows. Now with bigger-bodied celebrities, most notably and currently Lizzo, like Jillian Michaels, the fitness expert, and Lizzo got into it a couple weeks ago, and I realized like Jillian Michaels has made her entire career telling people that they can't look like Lizzo to be happy. So they I think can't that- look like who? Lizzo. Oh, she's a fat black singer, and so Jillian Michaels was shaming her and saying that we should encourage like body types like that. And I was like, oh my god, Jillian Michaels might be scared that she's losing like her appeal in pop culture not everyone has to be right well and and probably a revenue stream as well because Mm -hmm. if we stop i mean i think it's great to be into fitness and want to take care of yourself but that but your fitness and your health really has nothing to do with what your body type looks like some people are just skinny i mean it's just ridiculous and that's like peddling like what she's peddling is a lie like so yeah yeah she's probably very scared that if people like themselves a little bit more they might not really give too much of a fuck about buying about having an eight pack tapes or whatever yeah well people who love themselves spend a lot less money at the store when they go shopping don't they Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. true Mm -hmm. so let's talk about your boobs again you think they're giving you you said chronic pain you want to yeah i mean they're too big like they're 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 very 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 large i am a 34 double d i'm probably more like an e or an f but and you're it's five very, foot tall right? i'm five foot two five foot two okay um, you're way shorter than me for some reason and yeah so there but i i'd probably be an e or an f but you know it's very hard to impossible to find those sizes and stores so i just stuff them into a double d and call it good Your but boobs are bigger than mine that's for sure yeah they're very very big they're pro- they you know they kind of hurt i feel like as i'm way. getting older <laughs> as i'm getting older and your body will change so my boobs are so large it's really limited the kind of clothes that i feel comfortable wearing because they gather so much attention because of their size. And now that was fucking awesome in a strip club in like 2006. <laughs> you know, I'm now trying to like stuff myself into a suit and 
go to court <laughs> in 2020 and like I remember going to the when I was doing any kind of Salem lobbyist stuff I remember being like okay this cleavage looks great in a button down however this is not what I'm going for yeah, yeah. It's, it's distracting and it doesn't go unnoticed and also too I spend a lot of time in like prisons <laughs> sitting with people and it's just I think that that a lot of the men at least are always going to have I mean you're the only some of the only female contact that they're having outside of some of the guards and their family members and stuff. So they're going to like you anyway, but it's just, you feel I have to, I really, really, really have to limit what I wear and like really cover up and it's not comfortable. You Mm -hmm. know, I remember I had a sex ed, uh, human sexuality teacher in college and she always wore big clunky shoes. And she said that she knew how many men had, um, foot arousal stuff foot fetish and so uh she just never wanted she didn't feel comfortable showing her toes in a prison because she used to work in prisons too yeah oh yeah I would never I would never wear open toe shoes in there anyway just because (laughs) of like bacteria I mean you know disease for MRSA um you know athletes foot I mean any damn thing you can think of lives in those places and you know so Mm -hmm. you never know who was in the booth before you so Mm -hmm. I would not be wearing any open toe shoes in there Mm -hmm. your anal sex experience has been since we last talked because I know you had been working on try to have better experiences um have there been any developments well I have now done it a few times like (laughs) three or four it's still like pretty painful yeah um I have found that, okay, for me at least, how the hell do people fuck in the ass doggy style? Because <laughs> that just hard. does not seem like a good way. The only ways it's been successful for me, the, the best way is actually missionary. Yes. Mm, really? Yeah, missionary with the... Ba- <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yes you have no idea you're back on the bed your legs up in the air and yes. it just seems like your butthole is just like yes. okay a penis can go in, in me now. interesting <laughs> i don't know if i've actually had oh anal sex god. that way no no it totally makes sense because you're opening yourself up more um when you're on your back wow uh that's that makes so much well i wish that i wish that that knowledge would also like make it make it into like every porn, porn all sexual yeah. culture because that was really the best Every single TV show and movie, anytime there's gay sex being portrayed, it seems to always be doggy style. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> Wait, what are you watching on Netflix that has doggy style scenes? I want to go there. Well, there was Spartacus. <laughs> there's uh, that show like special. Um, oh, Okay. Yeah, there, there's a few um, that are that are. Oh, is that the around. one with Christian and Amanpour? Uh, no, that, no. That, oh, that oh, was sex around the world. Or that's something. sex around the world. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Uh, it was a TV show about a kid who's gay and has a disability, mm. and he sees a sex worker, mm. and um, they have a really good experience, and uh, they don't use lube though. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yo, I know what show you're talking about. That is a great show. Oh, what is it called? No, wait. Special. Is it? Yeah, special. Um, it's the. It's basically like he lives with his that's mom nice. and like is exploring the world and and becoming a writer at a. BuzzFeed type place and um and he has sex with a sex worker because he's really anxious about having sex for the first time and they portray it really well and like the sex workers like really woke and the interaction is really woke. nice yeah he he went to gain some sexual proclivity not to lose his virginity yeah that's my rhyme exactly 
Um, that's pretty cool. So, and you know what? It's okay if you don't ever like anal sex, you just don't have to. It's like, I like the idea of it more, but, and it's okay once it gets in there. Yeah. <laughs> but there's like this point where it feels like it gets caught and I feel like I'm getting like fish hooked. Oh. You, that might be your second oh sphincter. God. And my ass. That might be your second sphincter. You might need more lube and relaxation. Oh. Yeah. Maybe. That's just my guess. Um, there is a great book by Jack Morin. Um, I am losing my mind on the title right now, but it's Anal Sex. I think it's like a guide to healthy anal sex and hygiene. But Jack Morin, M-O-R-I-N-M-D. Just look up Anal Sex plus Jack Morin. Really good, helpful book. I did not know I had a second sphincter. <laughs> I'm just absorbing that. We have sphincters all over. Um, okay, the second so. sphincter. It kind of sounds almost like it would be jealous. Like it's like I'm tired of being the second sphincter hidden away. <laughs> Too much like a shameful <laughs> mistress. <laughs> oh, Mister Sphincter, <laughs> just feel intense. Um, so while we're talking about buttholes, um, let's talk about the election real quick. <laughs> I polled some of our Patreon followers, uh, and I said, "Who do you think's gonna win 2020? Not who do you want to, but who do you think will?" And as of January 25th, people are thinking that Warren is going to win, followed by Sanders, and then Trump is a close third or second. But that was what some of our listeners were I mean, projecting. I'm pretty solidly on team Warren. Mm. Um, that's that's who, I mean, unless there's, even with all her problems, you know, I, mm. I realize that she has some problems we are all problematic jen (laughs) you know but uh especially white ladies we are all problematic but i'm squarely on team warren obviously i will enthusiastically vote for whoever the fuck yes you know gets the nomination um unfortunately though i mean i'm still scared that trump still has a has Mm -hmm. a solid crack at winning i mean due to election math really mm-hmm. i i'm terrified <laughs> mm-hmm. i think i uh, think there's a good likelihood that trump's gonna win it i would like to see a warren um sanders ticket yeah uh, that won't happen though because well, they're both senators and they're both too close together i think they'll pick somebody i mean that's our hope i hope if an old white person male or female whatever old white person gets the ticket i hope pick someone a little different than them as a VP that maybe appeals to a different demographic mm. than like other, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. old middle-class white people. Right. I like I, Julian Castro. Someone should pick him for something. And I hope whoever gets the nomination, if we win, can someone please give Yang like a, a cabinet position? But tell him to not ask for, he wanted um end demand and like legalization, like, no, not legalization. I'm sorry. He was uh, asking, he's like, what about an end demand where we only punish the buyers of sex? And I was like, no, motherfucker, you got to decrim that shit. Oh, I didn't hear about that. That's I okay. just, only, just I really like this policy about owning your own data hmm. and being able to profit from your own data. I thought was great. I, That's cool. So maybe yeah, it's OK. Can... Just because he's wrong about something doesn't mean he can't get informed. Yeah. Well, maybe he just doesn't know. Yeah, I'm getting to the point where with this field of Democratic candidates, I really couldn't care less. I just want to vote for someone who's going to defeat Trump. So <laughs> I would vote for a dead body over Trump if. That was who we could have in the White House because the dead body would do less damage. I mean, I would I would vote for a pile of literal pile of shit before I would vote <laughs> for Trump. Hey, man, I'll go make the next president as soon as I leave this. 
Do you <laughs> soon remember, as I leave this booth. <laughs> do you remember, Jen, the old South Park where it was between a giant douche and a turd sandwich and they were talking about, God, what year is it? 2000? I think they were talking about the... It was the 2000 election. I remember this from my childhood, but basically the whole episode was like, our choices are so limited. They both suck. And I, I don't know, actually. I mean, the, that's Gore is fucking awesome compared to Bush. Who am I thinking of? I can't remember. I think that was Gore Bush. Yeah. Yeah, because then Michael Carey was in Bush. Was That was uh, 2004. Okay, yeah. I remember those years. Okay, John had a question about Portland. Um, I was wondering if there are any things in the Portland legal system or criminal justice system that you wish was different? What changes to make to the CJ system is really hard to say. I mean, my gripes are still the same as they've, I guess they've always been really, is that um, I, I would do away, I mean, Measure 11 is the biggest one, like mandatory minimums. Oregonians felt judges were being very soft on crime and letting people commit horrendous crimes and getting these egregiously low Brock Turner type sentences. Mm -hmm. So uh, Measure 11 established mandatory minimums for like violent personhood crimes like assault one, assault two, um, burglary, murder, attempted murder, aggravated murder, rape, you know, severe sex abuse. And that's you know, okay, you were right. It was in the 90s. It was a 94 initiative and reaffirmed by voters in 2000. Yeah, it's so, I mean, and the problem is, though, is you have, we'll have an example, like you'll have a kid charged with a Measure 11. Like, it's for one, also Measure 11 also means you can charge, I, I believe, like 15-year-olds as adults, 15 mm-hmm. and up. But then so you have like a 15-year-old, well, that'd be very vague, but uh, imagine there's like a 15-year-old that is on a max train uh, gets into it with an adult who's telling him to quiet down. As a joke, the 15-year-old snatches the hat off the guy's head and run and you know maybe pu- shoulder checks him and pushes past him, runs off the train. That's robbery. Mm. That's a Measure 11 crime. You know, it's mm. not like it's and, a stick 'em up guy and it that's says putting that a gun that in could your put face. You seven years, six months is the minimum sentence, according yeah. to Wikipedia. I just looked it up. Wikipedia yeah. isn't always accurate, but now usually. Mm-hmm. Now, usually, I mean, if it's really, if it's not, if it's, if it is a crime like that, you can usually get the DA to argue it down, to charge it down, but sometimes not. I mean, if somebody has a history, the DA is an asshole, maybe if there's other charge, I don't know. It, it could it, depend on the uh, defendant's race. But there should never, <laughs> ever be a one size fits all approach to any fucking thing that happens to you in life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I, you're right. So it is all defendants aged 15 and over. It is very black and white thinking. Yeah, that's scary. Rax is the first native app designed by and for sex workers with unique features like a social feed, club reviews, income tracking, and event calendars. Use it to grow your business at the touch of a button. For more information on Racks and more events, in-depth courses, and free content for adult entertainers, visit www.racks2riches.com. R-A-C-K-S to riches.com. And just for Strange Bedfellows listeners, use discount code SBP at checkout for 10% off any educational products. Are you looking for personalized, non-judgmental medical care in Portland metro area? Solace Health, the office of Dr. Eric Shalan, 
provides full-spectrum primary care services including chronic disease and psychiatric medical management, acute injury and illness treatment, and men and women's sexual health in a unique model operating outside of the usual insurance system. Experience relaxed one-hour appointments with same-day availability, as well as direct physician access via text, email, or phone for a flat monthly fee of $67 to $100 regardless of insurance coverage. Visit solacehealthpdx.com, that's S-O-L-A-C-E healthpdx.com for more information or call to schedule a free no-obligation consultation to see if Solace Health is the right fit for your needs. 503-231-3371, solacehealthpdx.com. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. I'm here with Al and Jen, and we're Hello. taking listener questions because yeah. we've got a few. Oh, I was listener questions were always like the favorite part of my the show. Really, <laughs> I love listener questions. I wish people would just would just send them to me anyway, just about like I'll random just stuff about like you what... in my inbox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So to Jen, this is similar to what we talked about, but the question is, do you ever miss stripping now that it's been a full year since you retired? Um, yes. Uh, yes and no. Um, I certainly miss that it wasn't life or death stakes in, in this same way that sometimes my job is now where I'm very cognizant of the fact that if I f- fuck up and don't do my job not only can I face repercussions but my client you know can lose their freedom like that's a lot, that's of, a lot of pressure and you know at least when I was at you know the the end of dancing was not awesome for me it was hard to get pushed out and my body was tired and I was fucking old and over it and the culture changed and the city changed and the customers changed and mm. I aged out and all that stuff but when I was at the top of my game it was fucking fun. It was so fun. And I I do miss that. And I still when I um like I DJ and stuff and I produce techno and when I'm constantly like trawling for music online to buy for like DJ sets or like whatever, I'll still hear stuff and be like, oh, this would be great in a set with like <laughs> that, with this and this. And then I have to be like, man, I'm like never gonna take the stage. At- again (laughs) like i'm like oh because it was fun it's fun to be like young and feel like you're hot and be on top of your game and flop around in a pile of money it's so enjoy it while you can if you're listening if this applies to you try to enjoy it while you can i have to remind myself that on the nights when i'm like i don't like what's happening this isn't fun i'm like you know what it's gonna not get better as time goes on probably (laughs) yeah yeah it's definitely it's a bell-shaped curve you know and yeah. When you're on the other side of it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's can. I missed I missed the camaraderie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's I mean, the camaraderie. that changes too, but yeah. it's hard. There was a lot of bullying when you left too. Um, we can cut this if you like, but I remember you were a little disgusted with how some people were behaving in the Portland industry and you kind of just weren't yeah, bummed about leaving the a lot, of, the a lot of, of fucking bullying. But you know, at the same time too, I know this and I really don't mean this to sound like judgy or shitty or like I'm the like boomer that's like, you know, people are so mean, but I think it's just a young person thing, you know, and you're oh, in call your, culture. you know, you're in your twenties and like things, things, social things feel more important, you know, and acceptance and insecurity and all those things are like 
really swirling around in your 20s. And I, if I think back on some of the behavior that was really starting to irritate and offend me on the way out, that's because we're talking about like 22 and 23-year-old young women who are stuck, you know, into this fairly unnatural environment and like, you know, and all competing with each other. Yeah. And comp- and yeah. So forced into competition. So yeah, things got ugly that I don't miss. Yeah. But it's, you know, it is what it is. I. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's like you said, nothing's black and white. You got to take it all. I will say one last thing that I really noticed about strip clubs, because I've only been in them maybe one or two times since I quit mm-hmm. just to say, like, say hello to somebody. And I've had a couple, now have a couple cases that in that involves some and I'm like I have no idea how I'm like oh I don't want to go in there but but you know when you do let me tell you what you never realize how how skewed our idea of attractiveness is when all of the people you work with and all of your like girlfriends that are dancers are all so attractive Mm -hmm. and so much more glamorous than like your average person Mm -hmm. I went into like last year after not having been in there for like six months to like Mm -hmm. say hello on a day shift and have like Mm -hmm. a coffee with my friend that was working I was like fuck everybody is so hot and just you just really don't I'm like now I see the appeal because Mm -hmm. this is not normal yeah being surrounded by attractive women in one place like it's so yeah when I I I mentioned this before briefly I think way way earlier in the season when I was out because I was pregnant so I just wasn't in the clubs for like six months or something and then when I went back I I was very like my brain and my body I felt so visually and like just spiritually stimulated with like all of the beautiful women all yeah I was like oh my god yeah you don't it's weird that that was my normalcy and I guess in a weird way I was like wow I was one of those women you were for 20 years because I you know 22 but well that's cool uh bittersweet Indeed. Uh, to John, Ellen, Jen. Ooh, we all get to weigh in. What's the favorite thing each of you learned while doing the show? Did you have favorite guests or new friends you met along the way? Thanks for the content. I learned a lot listening to the three of you. Best of luck wherever you go next. Thank you. Um, okay, so what was your favorite thing you learned while doing the show? Humility, how much I don't know and how much I've had to look up and how much I've learned from guests. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned how to be, I learned how to be much better about communicating like my sexual needs. Mm. That was something that I didn't, you know, that that's still like a learning process for me, but it was something I never even felt like comfortable talking about period, no less to my partner. Mm. That's awesome. What about you, John? What's the favorite thing you learned while doing the show? I think the biggest thing I learned was that um, even if we talk about problems in a universal way, so often we have very unique mm-hmm. experiences with them. And if someone describes having a problem with something, say during sex, it's difficult not to put yourself in your own shoes trying to listen to them. But I think it's important to acknowledge that different people have different issues um, for for the same experiences. So um, being aware of that and um, helping others become aware of it, I think is just making a, a better environment for mm-hmm. for sexual discussions to take place. Um, and that's probably the biggest thing I learned was, you know, understand other people's experiences um, in a, in like a holistic and, and understanding way um, when it comes to sex, when it comes to life, whatever. 
Mm, I like that both of you said that. Um, did you have any any guests that stuck out to you in memory when you think about the show? Catherine Friedman, um, which I don't think, Jen, you weren't there for that one. She was a psychotherapist. Um, we talked a lot about anxiety and trauma. She was a good one to me. That was that felt very impactful to me, probably because of my own anxiety and like trauma issues. Uh, uh, my, you know who um, really stuck out to me? Oh, I wish I had looked her name up before I came on the show, but it was the funeral director. Oh, Sharice. Yes. Sharice. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was. Holding Death's Hand episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Season one. That was, that was yeah. amazing. Yeah, I like, saw her two weeks ago. We had a big hug. Oh, hello to her. I will tell too. her. She's great. I like her a lot. What about you, John? Any guests or anything that stuck out to you? Oh, definitely the Erica Moen episode. When we had her on, I thought she had a really cool, inspirational, educational comic book um, or comic strip series, rather. Uh, And then I also really liked her story about meeting her husband when she went to the UK and at the time thought that she was um, fully uh, lesbian. And then she sort of realized that she had um, a journey of like self-discovery and and sort of like re-understanding to have uh, with herself. And I thought that was really cool. That sort of stood out to me. Thank you. So we have a listener question. My last relationship was monogamous. It lasted five-ish years. My partner wasn't really into sex or dirty talk, so I'd become accustomed to being kind of quiet. But my new partner interprets my silence as dissatisfaction. Any advice on finding a comfort zone to work with? Advice on figuring out kinks or things that I can play to? Hmm... So first thing, try to go back to what you liked before your partner of five years silenced you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was having this exact same thought. Really? Nice. Um, you don't have to talk also or say a lot, but I, I make what I call happy noises and my partners love them where I'm just like, hmm, hmm. I guess I'm wondering, did you, if, if this person had spoken to their partner yet and said, hey, you know, um, just so you know, I, I'm not dissatisfied it's just I've been trained to be silent and it's gonna take some time so work so bear with me just Mm -hmm. so your current partner has a knows where you're coming from and hopefully has some more patience with you or maybe just like try to like set a goal of saying like one thing Mm -hmm. per sex act one thing a session and it can be kind of like in the moment maybe stressful to figure out what that thing is some people like preparing um, in a way, you can do that. Have you asked your partner what they like their genitals being called? Pussy, cock, penis, cunt, hole. You know, like if you know what they like to hear, then you can maybe say that instead of being like, mm, touch my banana, you know. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be anything like totally out. It can just be something like your cock feels so good. Yeah. This just feels easy. so nice. You are doing this thing that feels good to me mm-hmm. and leave it at that. You know, uh, Saying what you like when it's happening is a good way to reinforce, you know, things that feel good to keep happening to you and to give the feedback. So it's not this, you know, hopefully like we've all faked it here, right? We've all faked orgasms. Oh and, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I've definitely, I got in a, in a habit of being like, Oh yeah. Oh, oh so good. And whatever. And then it's like, that shouldn't just be a track that I'm running when I'm getting fucked from behind and not really feeling anything, but just trying to get it over with. Like, like that's <laughs> shit, you know, I can do that. But when stuff actually feels good, be like, oh, this, that right there, you know, do that because that helps guide them. 
I'm so glad I don't fake it anymore in my personal life. Ah. Um, yeah, and then also give it time. This person doesn't say how long they've been with their new partner. Because in the beginning, it's usually kind of nerve-wracking anyway for a lot of people. You're figuring out what each other likes. Yeah, it's definitely exploring uncharted territory, but I feel as though sex gets so much better once you know exactly which levers to push to turn on your partner. And it makes it a lot more fun, too. Um, I, I think the best thing we can hope for people when it comes to their sex lives is actually just improved communication and the rest will follow. You know? You might fall... Basically, you might fall off a couple times. And then there's nothing wrong with that. You know, everything is mm -hmm. inherently learning anyway. So why shouldn't that be applied to our sex lives? Mm -hmm. The only reason we have any shame around that is because sex seems to be a shameful activity in whatever society mm. we've concocted. <laughs> so I don't know. It's a learning process and communicate a ton and you'll make it through. Um, it sounds like silence isn't the solution. I try to not envision what I want a session to look like because then I've put everything in a box, you know, like, and I'm not fluid. And then there's plenty of uh, opportunities for the universe to be like, no, why the hell would this happen the way you imagined it? That's silly. So try to stay um, present. Yeah. All right. Last one. This is a feedback letter, which I liked. Uh, because Jen had mentioned this in an earlier episode, instead of asking people's pronouns, one good way to be an ally is to introduce yourself and provide your own. This is what we do at activist meetings and pride center meetings I go to, and it really helps people feel more comfortable as someone who is NB and prefers they, them. Non-binary. One interesting thing I learned a bit ago is that there are even multiple genders mentioned in the Talmud. Ancient religious well, text. This person will be happy to know that a lot of the younger criminal defense attorneys that are just starting out, I've noticed, are very, they will sign, I have like three attorneys that do this, that are all like pretty young attorneys. Mm -hmm. And they all have in their, um, not the footer, but their their little goodbye. I'm, signature. Their signature, mm -hmm. their pronouns. Mm, yes. And yeah. I'm talking lawyers and fucking legal emails. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. That is cool. So I, I believe it's that. It's becoming that's cool. a thing. And that's millennials that are doing that, by the way. They're the ones really leading the charge doing that. Because I'm seeing that, yeah, in all kinds of therapy things. Oh, I'm looking for an article. Oh, well, was... and the thing is, and you see it enough, and it no longer becomes like like a groundbreaking, like, woo thing. It's just a thing. Mm -hmm. So, which is good, mm -hmm. I think. I agree looking for an article real quick oh yeah here it is okay i just wanted to mention this because it relates to it um sinclair sexsmith wrote on medium.com dear cis people who put your pronouns on your hello my name is name tags thank you <laughs> so there's a whole piece where they're like when you do that i feel more comfortable putting my pronouns they them um yeah so cool so uh glad we're all agreed on that that's cool. Actually, that's I'm making a mental note as soon as I get home today and send some emails. I've been meaning to do it for a while and I keep forgetting but to, stick change, it on there. to put it in my, sig my email her. signature Yay. too. So. That's cool. I went through a burger drive through and the young teenage boy server who like looked absolutely like cis and male and, you know, nothing queer about him, but he had it he him on his. And I was like, 
cool. Like at first my brain thought, is that necessary? And then I was like, oh yeah, that's not for people like me who like don't give a shit. That's for people who like really could use the encouragement knowing they're safe here. Yeah. So cool. Let's take another break. Hey friends, are you sick of razor burn? Have your nethers cleaned up by the pros at Netherlands Wax in Vancouver, Washington, where experienced owner estheticians have performed literally thousands of Brazilian waxes. Netherlands Wax is gender neutral, sex positive, trans and queer welcoming, kink positive, and body positive. We are just over the 205 bridge in Vancouver, Washington. Worth the drive. Find us on Facebook, Yelp, or netherlandswax.com. Are you a man looking for insight into the male brain? Looking for a safe space to hear discussions about the problems men face every day? Are you struggling in daily life, but finding it hard to pinpoint the cause? Maybe your relationship is suffering. Maybe your job is sucking the life out of you. Or maybe you love sex, but aren't having any. Maybe you're just finding it hard to feel genuine connections. Well, head on over to the Brome Podcast, where hosts Ben and Joe discuss many of the issues we face in daily life, but have little guidance in. You'll learn from the bros, and from guests like Elle, on how to talk to women, or any fellow human being. How to be more understanding and compassionate towards others, how to listen to your partners in the sack, and much more. Brome Podcast. B-R-O-A-U-M. Again, that's B-R-O-A-U-M. Are you looking for a sex worker-friendly therapist who specializes in gender and sexuality in the Portland, Oregon, or Vancouver, Washington area? Sue Uvery is licensed in both states. Visit www.genderandsextherapy.com to learn more about Sue's offerings and her experience working with adults, youth, queer, and trans folks. Sue also accepts sliding scale rates for cash-only clients. Visit genderandsextherapy.com to meet Sue and to create a path to self-care and wellness. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. Um, it's so nice to have all of us. Uh, this is our last episode. Our first season host, Jen, has joined our second season host, John, uh, in the news. This was on CNET.com by Edward Moyer on January 21st, 2020. Clearview app lets strangers find your name. Info with snap of a photo report says. So real quick, this isn't available to the general public yet, but law enforcement is using it. So the article says, what if a stranger could snap your picture on the sidewalk, then use an app to quickly discover your name, address, and other details? A startup called Clearview AI has made that possible, and its app is being used by hundreds of law enforcement agencies in the U.S., including the FBI, according to a Saturday report in the New York Times. Uh, and then, John, you explained how they did this. It says they compare a photo to a database of more than 3 billion pictures that are scraped from where? So basically the entire internet. Any publicly available image, uh, sometimes even privately available images, if you once had a public profile and then switched to private, those pictures could still have been scraped. Uh, everything from Instagram to, yeah, Venmo. Venmo is on here. Your picture on Venmo. I think it's someone else probably tags you mm. or something too. Yeah, basically what they've done is they've used something called a crawler. And a crawler goes around the entire internet and looks for either links or 
things that like um, you you've told it to look for, and it'll basically scan every single available internet address and and then pull pictures from those. In this case, I imagine they probably chose target-rich environments such as Facebook because there's Facebook photos. Um, they probably chose any sort of social medium with profile pictures or avatar heads. Um, and that way they can pull from that, create a giant database of it, and then use their machine learning algorithms to sort it into people um, or into a searchable trove. And then suddenly you can plug in a face or look up a name and ta-da, you have basically a repository of faces. Oh, man. Uh, okay. So there aren't I, any federal laws on use of this yet. Go ahead, Jen. I mean, I well, that's a, what I'm really hoping is that there's going to be some good attorneys who litigate the shit out of this and litigate the shit. Out. I, I'm curious to see how this will, how this will be admissible and how attorneys will fight admissibility in the courtroom. Um, uh, without being vague, I actually recently had a case and I wonder, I recently had a case where it was a big shoplifting case, um, and we could not, for the life of us, figure out the exact mechanism of how the client was identified off mm. of the security footage. Mm. Police said he was already known to them. Mm. We didn't have any good basis for that and it really it, the case ended up playing out hmm. but it's really something that's stuck that's interesting stuck in my craw you well, know and that's and i wonder how that i i just wonder if maybe things like this are already right used, they're already you know well i mean so apparently the internet like the u.s government was testing the internet in the 1970s 20-ish years before it was available to the public so things exist before we know about them certainly um, it says the FBI's own database, which taps passports and driver license photos, is one of the largest with over 641 million images of U.S. citizens. Um, the Venmo one is really interesting to me because that's a tiny photo on your Venmo. But um, do you remember, oh my God, this like 2000-ish movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise and it was the future and it's like facial recognition and like other shit to like catch people before they commit crimes. Right. So he walks into like a shopping store. Predictive policing. <laughs> well, what was funny to me, I remember watching that movie and I was a teenager and Tom Cruise characters like walking around. He goes into a retail environment and the like robot greeter voice is like, welcome back to blah, blah, blah. Did you want to get more of those button downs or whatever? So it's like the store <laughs> recognizes what you just bought and is greeting you in that way. And so my boyfriend started laughing. He's like, what if it just put you on blast? Like, oh, you get back for some more of those whitey tidies. Like, God, <laughs> like yeah. you know, I mean, they started <laughs> like, doing just those something Amazon like that stores where you don't have to use your credit card or anything directly it's very hands-free you walk in pick up your items the cameras and the weight sensors can tell um and then in, you know you leave and they charge your your account automatically but i wouldn't be surprised if in the future we start seeing some Probably suggestions popping in, yeah um mm. to your phone whenever you walk by stores or things like that um with augmented reality there's also the possibility of using your phone camera or your phone as a mm. lens to the world and um whenever you walk by stores them using your internet history to <laughs> to suggest stuff that's relevant to you which is really creepy mm. but um also really great for the consumer experience so kind of have to find a middle ground there and uh and not do what china did which was uh, implement a, 
a test plan in mm-hmm. Beijing to have uh, <laughs> every citizen have a sh- social mm-hmm. score, um, which in effect allowed you to. Uh, oh yeah, they can track your banking even more. Have access to public services if you scored well, and uh, be denied international travel or even domestic travel, or access to services if you、um, if you don't have a high enough social score. Yeah, that's well. The citizen score shit is terrifying, but I it's weird. But it's weird. It's like they drip feed it the stuff to us a little bit of a time, so we acclimate to it、mm-hmm. and we just get used to it. Mm-hmm. I like over. I lived in London for a long time,、um, like when I was in my early twenties. And anyone who has been to the UK or lives in the UK knows that they have a very in- intensive network of security cameras every everywhere. Like if if you're anywhere in the UK, you can just be assumed that you're under police surveillance. Like they've always been big, fascinating on that kind of stuff, and it's just a normal part of life. You know, it's、yeah. weird and horrible. Yeah. I'm sure they already have.、Uh, I'm sure they already have this. Yeah. Well, so Clearview AI. Let's maybe keep an eye on that <laughs> if we can. One more thing to remember.、Um, speaking of earlier the election stuff.、Uh, <laughs> so, just a little brief commentary because I'm kind of irritated that Hillary Clinton's trying to come for Bernie Sanders. It's like, do you want blue to win? Like, do you want Democrats to win or not?、Um, Were you two following this? I think that's something we need to learn from the R's, right? Is that we at least the Republicans always pack together, no matter. It, we could use that, but as far as this, that comment was taken out of context. When she said no one likes Bernie, she was talking within the context of the Senate, where I guess he is apparently almost a Ted Cruz、oh. type figure, where he doesn't get along very、right. well with the other Senate. He is known as being like cranky and kind of hard. I mean, personally. I'm not a fan of Bernie Sanders. I think he is kind of sexist. I don't like his followers, but I'll fucking vote for him. I'm fine, you know. Yeah, I, but also Hillary should.、Uh, she. It feels it, like sour grapes to me, where she's like, "I'm not running, so I don't want him to be." I don't a part think of it. it's sour grapes. I just think that she should still realize that she has, she has some influence, and maybe when the important thing is beating Trump, it's more prudent to keep your mouth shut until.、Mm-hmm. After the election, because I I don't like Bernie, but you know what? Like I'm also not trying to get Trump elected again.、Mm-hmm. So what? I, so I'm not trying to be divisive and nitpick with people and being, a you know a whatever about it. I'm like, let's、mm-hmm. just get this done、mm-hmm. by whatever means necessary and get that piece of shit out of the White House.、Mm-hmm. So that's、yeah. where I stand with.、That. I'm not convinced on. I mean, he's old as shit, and sexism is such a intrinsic part of so many people. I mean, even I try to catch myself in my own assumptions when I make them sometimes deep inside of my brain.、Um, I mean, I feel like what was that video from him in like the '90s where he's talking to some school kids and he's like, "All you girls here, you have every bit of right to be president, just like all the boys here do." Great, but have you seen all the videos of him putting his hand in female reporters' faces? <laughs> oh no, like waving the finger thing. No, there's one where he just does this and then and then grabs her shoulder. I'm like, would you do that to a man? Because I haven't seen any footage. But anyway, you know what though?、Equality. I don't. I don't want to come on this show and shit on Bernie Sanders. For sure. You know, like yeah, I just yeah. like I really don't. Well, we're all in agreement here. We're going to vote Democrat. I want、Democrat. him to be president. I want Warren to be president. I even want fucking Biden. I want anybody, any of them, to be president. Yeah. I am not about to go point my fingers at a, at this point. Like I, I mean, it's just like I made a a promise that I wasn't going to drag 
women publicly like other like female artists and techno or whatever anyone that i know like i don't try i don't criticize women publicly unless you're really unless you really do say something like extraordinarily racist or sexist or whatever like mm-hmm. i'm not nitpicking people i'm not not nitpicking these candidates publicly because i just it's just too important Good. that we congeal together yeah no that's yeah you know? I so if We're you support all... bernie i support you mm-hmm. you know if you support biden i support you and whatever brought you there to think that biden's the best mm-hmm. you know i don't care mm-hmm. that's where i go I thought in the two thousand at the two thousand sixteen DNC, I, I thought Bloomberg had the best speech. It's, I I'm a mm. New Yorker and I know a con when I see one, and he was right. However, I don't know. I don't think twenty twenty is the year where we need another fucking billionaire for president. I mean, yeah. that's. But I would love it if he was America. You know, the Democratic sugar daddy, and mm-hmm. just spread that sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he specifically said he's doing this to amongst- piss off Trump. Because he can oh. afford to and because it also it's like you're um, destabilizing their campaign. Oh, God, if you I can know, cause people it. to become emotional, you're creating instability in their goals. So that's what a lot of personal attacks are anyway. So all of this, a nice way to wrap this one up. Um, this article, I thought, sounded a little fluffy, but I'm, I clicked on it and I'm glad I did. Because there's so many clickbaity, you know, supposedly self-help things that regurgitate garbage and try to sell you stuff. Uh, this one was on CNBC.com. Five mental traps that successful people never fall for, according to psychologists, by Anna Borges. This was January fifteenth, twenty twenty. It says our brains are wired to make sense of things by drawing connections between thoughts, ideas, actions, and consequences. Sometimes they can be wrong, negative, or misleading. Cognitive behavioral therapists call these instances, quote, cognitive distortions, where we perceive reality differently than it really is. Um, so she is selling a book that she wrote, The More or Less Definitive Guide to Self-Care. So some of these mistakes uh, or patterns that we fall into that are unhealthy, and I have done this at work in the club, emotional reasoning Number one, emotional reasoning, mistaking our emotions as evidence for the truth. So like, I feel like my friend is being distant. So this must be proof that they don't like me. Right. Or whatever. I feel like this crowd doesn't like me. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm not making as much money as I should. So therefore, no one likes me in here and I should go have a drink or whatever. Or I feel like my relationship is blah. So yeah. Um, to combat emotional reasoning, cognitive therapists suggest asking yourself questions like, what are the facts that support my emotionally based determination? Or is it possible that my feelings are clouded by some bias that ought to be reevaluated? I should get that um, tattooed on my fucking arm, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and moving on. No, that's great. I liked these a lot. I'm going to keep this and revisit it. Um, I meant to do this earlier this year, but I think instead of having like a 10 commandments, like a biblical thing, I want to write my own like set of ethics for myself. So these will help me do that. Um, number two, blaming. We engage in blaming when we hold others accountable for our own actions and feelings. The example is your cat gets out when you're already on your way to work and you're pissed that you're late and it's the cat's fault. Uh, but Susan, in that, in mm-hmm. that, uh, example though, it, it is the cat's fault. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. It is the cat's fault. It is the cat's fault. The cat doesn't know you have to go to work, though. Maybe the cat has to pee. I mean, that's true. The cat is an innocent 
animal, but I guess I wonder what con contact. I mean, yeah, I guess I so, think they could have used something, something better. But the, I agree. Yeah, I think you're right. But yeah, blame it. But there's definitely something problematic what about, about blaming your station and light or whatever your problems on other people. What about if uh, okay, I drive a lot. If I'm driving fast and a car merges and I feel like gets in front of me and I'm like, God damn it. I just slam on my brakes with the fuck. And then I have to be like, wait, they're not necessarily going slow. I'm going a little fast. So I'm of, guilty of that. I have right? I'm a terribly, I'm a very aggressive driver. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, God damn it. I'm fucking late. The, my fault. the antidote for this, um, it says we often blame others because it helps us quote, preserve our sense of self-esteem by avoiding awareness of our own flaws or failings. So, um, focus the understanding on the other person. Try walking in his or her shoes. Get rid of the right-wrong approach. Failure to take responsibility for your consequences of your own behavior means you're not learning from your mistakes. Or here's another one. If I'm trying to get out the door in the morning with my kid and she's like, I got to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, oh my God, we're fucking late now. And I'm like, wait, if I had just woken up a little bit earlier because I know that this stuff like this always happens, you know, it's not her fault. She has to pee. It's my fault for being the parent and not or, getting up earlier. Or maybe another example. Has anyone ever had her maybe, maybe in the dancer context, have you ever had a coworker who views your good money making night as like as taking away from them somehow, you know, mm. I would have had a good night, but you took all the money because I'm working with you. And on your second stage, you made all the money. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, Maybe it's not your shitty attitude and that you're angrily looking at my stage with your arms crossed. And I've done the same thing. I've certainly been like, Oh God, I'm not going to make any money. Cause I'm, I'm partnered with Tishy. Fuck, you know, like, <laughs> man. And then I have a horrible fucking attitude and don't mm -hmm. make any money. And there you go. And mm -hmm. it's, it's mm -hmm. Tishy's fault, not my fault, mm -hmm. you know. So this relates to the next one. Catastrophization. That's hard to say. Spiraling negative spirals of expecting disaster to strike no matter what. Guilty. Guilty. So anticipating the worst possible outcome is far from useful. Studies show that it can lead to anxiety and depression. No kidding. Um, psychologist Judith Beth, known for her work in cognitive behavioral therapy, recommends listing the advantages and disadvantages of putting your time and energy into making everything a catastrophe. So if you are maybe nervous about a first date, write all, down all the pros and cons. Like, well, you know, maybe I'm embarrassed. Maybe something awkward happens, you know. But the pros are maybe I make a new friend or find someone I love. I like making lists. I actually do pros and cons lists all the time. <laughs> all the time. Uh, number four, fallacy of fairness. A person believes that every situation should be determined by what is fair. Example is your colleague got a promotion or, you know, earned more that night and you didn't. You complain to yourself that this isn't fair. Guess what? Life isn't fair. A psychology yeah. professor suggests that stating your feelings as a preference can help change the way you feel. So instead of saying... I should have gotten that promotion or I should have made more money. You could say it would be nice to make more money, but I don't always have control over that. I would have preferred if I got chosen for the bachelor party. Exactly. Exactly. I do this at work too. Like, oh, it would have been fair if so-and-so tipped the same me as they did the other person. I'm like, what? The universe isn't fair. I would have liked it if I made more. Maybe next time. Last one, personalization. 
Personalization involves taking everything personally and assigning blame to yourself without any logical reason. Example, my son got an F on his final exam. I should have helped him study more. It's all my fault. Um, Even if there's some truth to that, maybe you could have helped your kids study more. Psychologists have found that personalization can lead to guilt, shame, and feelings of inadequacy. Do you? What does that look like? I definitely feel it. So I... I feel all the time as if everything applies to me, but like not not like good stuff necessarily, mostly bad stuff. Um, if I hear someone saying, you know, that they're that they're not feeling well or that something's not going right, I feel as though if I don't do everything I can in that moment to try and solve it for them, that I'm I'm like partly guilty for causing it. Um, I used to look at some people's relationships Mm. around me and my family and feel really guilty, even though I was just a kid and they were adults Mm. for, for not, Mm -hmm. you know, doing enough for them. And then there are times where I'll take everything really personally, where I think about like my grandparents dying in the future and how, like, if I don't have grandkids for them, like, you know, I, am I doing my duty and all these, like, I don't know. I feel like Mm -hmm. I take other people's sadness and apply it to what I can do. Yeah. Well, kids internalize what their, how their parents behave anyway, because they look to their parents for stability. I know I struggle for a while and I mean, this is probably, you know, it's own episode or its own thing, but I think a lot of other people struggle with this too. And I'm in therapy over the fact that I am often convinced somewhere deep inside of me that the bad things that happen to me in life randomly, because bad things happen to everybody sometimes. No mm-hmm. one leads a perfect life, but somewhere in me, I'm convinced they happen to me because I'm a bad person. Mm. So maybe mm-hmm. what that means, like this mm-hmm. happened because not because like my car accident happened, not because, you know, it was an unfortunate circumstance of events and it was rainy and, you know, and an accident happened as they do, but it's because secretly I'm a fucking bad person. Mm, I'm glad you're in therapy. Over there you that, go. How's that? That's a good one. Is that yeah. some realness? Yeah, it's some realness. For you. Yeah. <laughs> Feels like it leads to guilt, shame and feelings of inadequacy. So they say to work through this cognitive distortion, take a step back and think about what part you played in the situation. Consider how you might not be entirely to blame. Try looking at things from an outsider's perspective and that there are a variety of factors at play and that the outcome is not a direct reflection of you. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that list was called Five Mental Traps That Successful People Never Fall For, according to psychologists on CNBC.com by Anna Borges. (sighs) It's been so nice doing a show with both of you. Yeah. yeah. It Me was too. hard work and it was up and down and I got some great feedback from people in the club and I don't know uh, how else this will continue to impact us as we move forward, but I appreciate everyone who has supported us and shared our work and writing. Um, we're going to do an after show now on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. Um, in terms of what we're doing next, please follow me online, stripperwriter.com. My name is Elle Stanger. I would like to keep making things where I'm hosting conversations with folks. Uh, John, what are you going to do? You you deleted your Instagram. I did. Deleted your Instagram. Yeah, I deleted my Instagram or archived it because I felt as though I was spending too much time on it um, and it wasn't making me happier. And if I'm going to spend a lot of time on something, it should make me happy. Um, I will be doing probably YouTube. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of stuff I have to get together. YouTube is not an easy medium. It requires a lot of time and edits. 
um and that's why i can't really do it now yeah but um good for I, you i would like to in the future try and find time to do it um maybe once school is slowed down or something and mm-hmm. uh yeah well, good for you together i feel you. yeah i need to do the same thing yeah so, yeah spend a lot of time on reddit which is oh terrible. God. that's my ch- so that's what I do when I'm standing and I know when I'm standing in line for like records or I'm just doing bored waiting for something. I am I'm on Reddit. You Usually just can't get enough of people's addiction. dirty laundry, can you? <laughs> so stressful. <laughs> uh, something for everyone. Um, OK, everybody. Thank you so much. Don't cry. You. I'm not crying. I'm actually not crying. This is this has been no. a good experience. It has uh, been. All right, everybody. Until until next time. Until next time. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. To find behind the scenes, photos, bonus clips, and journals from your guests and hosts, type www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash strange bedfellows and join for only $1. Find us online at strangebedfellowspdx.com and Instagram at strangebedfellowspdx. You can find me, L Stanger, on stripperwriter.com and Instagram as L Stanger. Write your hate mail or sex and relationship questions to pillow talk at strangebedfellowspdx.com and find me, John, on Instagram.